This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. The King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery has been rehearsing all week at Windsor ahead of the funeral of Prince Philip. There will be ceremony and millions around the world will be watching, but this is a much smaller funeral than you might expect for the husband of the Queen. A lot of that is down to coronavirus restrictions. Just like everyone else in the UK, only 30 people can attend. They'll have to wear face masks and observe social distancing inside St George's Chapel. The Queen will sit alone. But some of it is by Philip's own command. I'm joined now by Philip Ede, who wrote the acclaimed biography Young Prince Philip. Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh was one of the most influential people in the UK for decades, so it might be disappointing to some that his funeral is so relatively small, but this is actually more in keeping with the man's wishes and personality, isn't it? I think in a strange sort of way, it's exactly the sort of funeral he would have chosen for himself, really. I mean, we've We've heard about the sort of Land Rover that he wanted to be taken off in. And uh, I mean, he specifically didn't want a, a state funeral. And, uh, you know, I think he, he he's a very sort of self-effacing man who, you know, wasn't really interested in himself, really. You know, he didn't really like answering questions about himself. He was just interested in what he could do for other people and, and for the, I mean, for the, for the nation, really. And mostly for the Queen, I would have thought, what he could do for the Queen. I wonder if he would have thought this less public, this less grand, kind of funeral might be better for her as a human being not as the monarch of this country but as somebody who's mourning the death of her husband. I think that's right I mean I think let's not forget that the Queen in sort of character was a naturally shy person like her father and Prince Philip did did a very similar job in a way to the to the Queen Mother with George VI you know as in the film The King's Speech sort of helping him to sort of overcome his stammer and his his shyness and, and Prince Philip at the outset of the Queen's reign did an enormous amount to sort of help her sort of grow into the the role and, and the job as it were and I mean you know she's now talked about as the sort of gold standard constitutional monarch in in the entire sort of history of Britain so the, the fact she was able to sort of go on to sort of achieve that and, and become that is, is an awful lot of that of that is down to the sort of confidence and support that Prince Philip gave her. They had an extraordinary relationship uh, that, that's lasted through decades. It must be an incredibly difficult day for the Queen today, because as you've said, Philip has been very much her foundation throughout all of this. Well, absolutely. I mean, she was 13 when she first sort of properly saw him and really was smitten instantly. I mean, he really was the man of her dreams. He was handsome. He was funny. He wasn't sort of boringly deferential. He was the perfect foil in terms of, you know, in terms of being the opposite of her shyness. He, he was able to sort of saunter up when sort of awkward silences threatened when she was on walkabout and, and make some sort of joke that somehow allowed, you know, diffused the tension and allowed conversation to flow. So he was absolutely crucial to her. And the fact that she's gone on to be, you know, 
that this sort of gold standard constitutional monarch, a lot of the credit for that, for her achievement, must go to Prince Philip and, and, and the support he gave her. But I think, as you say, this is a terrible, terrible time for her. I mean, they, they've been married for more than 73 years, I think it is, and have sort of, you know, known each other well for even more than that. So it must be an incredibly painful time. But, you know, typically she has already resumed her royal duties, you know, a few days after he died. But but I think that it, it probably will suit her much better for the um, service itself to be a sort of private family affair. And I think in many ways it's it's what both of them would have wanted. Now, you've obviously written about the young Philip, and I think there's something quite interesting about how the Duke of Edinburgh came to be known as this figure of stability when his life itself, before he met the Queen, was actually quite a turbulent one, wasn't it? He went through a lot before he married the, the, the Queen of the United Kingdom. Well, he went through an awful lot. I mean, you know, nowadays, you know, someone with, with the childhood he had would, you know, some, some would have said would have been sort of taken away by the social services or, or at least spent their whole life as therapy, you know, which are sort of notions <laughs> that, that you could be sure he would have scoffed at. But yes, he had a very, you know, he had an awfully difficult, you, you could say dreadful childhood in, in many ways. I mean, even before he was born, his grandfather, the King of Greece, was assassinated. That was six years or so before he was born. When he was barely a year old, his father was court-martialed and came very close to being executed. And the family were only able, able to escape across the Adriatic um, because of a warship sent by their cousin, George V of Britain, who felt guilty for having failed to save his other first cousin, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. But then when he was um, eight, um, well, they were living on the outskirts of Paris, his mother suffered a nervous breakdown and was literally taken away by men in white coats while the children were out, was taken away for the day. His father decided he'd had enough of family life at the same time and sort of shut up the family home, went off to live with his mistress, and um, Prince Philip's elder sisters were all on the, either married or on the point of marriage, so they disappeared as well. And so his family essentially disintegrated around him, and he was just sort of um, sent off to live with his grandmother in London. Um, and then he, his uncle became his guardian, the, the elder uncle, Georgie Milvedhaven. Three years later, he died, so that was another um, tragedy for Prince Philip because he'd become very fond of this sort of substitute father figure. And then the next year, his sister died in an air crash. So it was, it was one thing after another, really. All of these sort of traumas had hardened him, really. He, he learned this sort of coping mechanism, which was to create a kind of facade around him, which was, which was tough and, 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 and cheerful and, and mischievous. But he didn't want to look too, too closely into or think about some of the sort of bad things that had happened in his life. And, and, and there were quite a few. Certainly hard, but was he loving Philip? Well, I think certainly he was loving. I mean, the, the early letters that are sort of in the public domain, mainly really to the Queen's parents, really. I mean, you know, they leave one in no doubt that his feelings were very strong towards her. And, and I think for either of them, but, but particularly him, who, who was sort of sacrificing so much by um, marrying her and then taking on the role when George VI died early, he, he had to give up his naval career, which you which he adored and which he was extremely successful at. He, he, many thought he would rise right to the top of that. But I think the fact that he was sort of willing to make all these sacrifices is really sort of indicative of, of the amount of love he felt for her. I mean, when it came to being a father, I think he was sometimes 
or has sometimes been criticized for being rather harsh on Prince Charles when he was very young. But I think, you know, he wanted the best for him. I think there's no doubt it was a loving relationship. He, he just wanted, he, he thought that Charles was going to need to toughen up, you know, like Prince Philip was toughened up by his schooling. And that's why he sent him to Gordonston. But of course, Prince Charles was a, turned out a very sort of different character and it, and it didn't suit him. But I don't think he, you know, there was nothing that wasn't well meant about it. And I think we're now seeing, and I think we've heard from Prince Charles later, I think that, that relationship, it might have been difficult at times. I mean, a lot of father-son relationships are, but I think it came sort of full circle. And I think there was a great deal of fondness between them by the end. What do you think his legacy will be, Philip? And, and do you think he'll be proud of it? I don't think he's someone... As I say, I don't think he really deals in sort of things like pride. But my impression is that he's not really interested in sort of being proud of things. He he, he fought, he's followed his passion, and 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 he has been, you know, he he's definitely a man of sort of duty, and 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 I think he he certainly can be proud. He, he's every entitlement to, to to feel proud of what he of what he's done and what he's achieved. But I think really his chief legacy is in his support for the Queen and, and what that has meant and, and, and what her reign, you know, the, the success of her reign, you just simply couldn't have happened without him. The very length of it, the fact that she sort of rarely makes a misstep. I, I think all of these things, of course, uh, she has an awful lot of qualities herself, but I, I think she simply couldn't have done it on her own. And, and, and the country, if you're, if you're remotely a sort of, of a sort of monarchist leaning, and the country's been ex- extremely lucky um, that he, you know, that he married her. I mean, I think he, he made her what she became. There's much more on Prince Philip's funeral at standard.co.uk. Follow our live blog to keep up with breaking news. That's the leader. Join us next week, every day at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.